Well, I was sitting there thinking, and uh, you know, it's uh, hard not to express yourself whenever you, uh, whenever it involves your grandchildren or your children. And I was sitting there thinking of the times, and I've heard this over and over again, especially back in Kentucky and Tennessee, where I spent so many years preaching talking about different churches and uh, so many of them, you know, will run oh, 50 to 7,500 uh, uh, in attendance and they've, you know, been that way for 30, 40, 50 years. It kind of stays the same. But I've heard this comment over and over and over. Well, it's just a family church. Nearly everybody, everybody there is just just family, you know, the family runs the church, you know, over half of the members are all, all of the same family. You know, and I, I keep wondering, what in the world is wrong with that, that somebody's doing something that, you know, that that winning people, you know, members of the family to the Lord. And, and I finally figured out the ones that are that are, that are complaining about it have never won any members of their family to the Lord, never brought any of their family members to the church, and 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 they're complaining because, believe me, I don't believe any family ought to run the church. I don't believe any pastor ought to run the church like a dictator. But thank God for for family that's in the church, whether it's my family or your family. Just bring all of them you can. You're not going to offend me. I mean... We'll designate you a certain pew if if you fill, if you fill it up, you know. Yeah, we might put your name on it. Well, let's get to it. Second Kings chapter number three, and probably some folks, you know, uh, thought maybe I'd lost my mind when I announced the title of the message. Of course, some of you, some of you have been saved a long time and you've studied the Bible and uh, you you know exactly what we're going to be talking about. Second Kings chapter 2 and verse 23. Just three verses tonight, believe it or not. Verse 23 says, And he, that is Elisha, he went up from thence unto Bethel and as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him and said unto him, Go up, thou bald head, go up, thou bald head. And he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood and tear forty and two children of them. And he went thence to Mount Carmel and from thence he returned to Samaria. As I was preparing this series, I was really tempted to skip this little section, just three verses, and I was tempted to skip it like most people do. And uh, even as you read the different commentaries and, and what have you, it just seems like nobody really wants to deal with this. And and I think the thought is that it will raise more questions than what it will answer. Because believe me, there are some who believe that this was out of place and that it is repulsive. They, they really believe that Elisha resorted to unusually cruel measures by pronouncing a curse upon a group of children 
you know, uh, that were just teasing him. But there's more to the story than what you might think. And that's what we're going to look at. And when I say that, I, uh, I, I, I sense that, you know, in this story, and, and God, by the way, is the one that wanted to include it. And so there's a reason. So whenever the Bible tells us, you know, preach the Word, this is a part of the Word, and I don't think we ought to exclude it because, you know, well, because we don't understand it. By the way, you know, this story, the, the, the point of the story could literally save somebody's life. And so you might think about that. I want you to notice, first of all, the place. Look in verse number 23, the place. It says Bethel, which means house of God. Now, you'll remember that Jacob designated that because of his experience there over in Genesis chapter 28. And I'm sure you're familiar with that, where he had that experience of Jacob, you know, Jacob's ladder. We even sing little songs about it and so forth. As a result of that, he realized that he was in the presence of God and he called the place Bethel the house of God. But since that time, things had changed drastically. Jeroboam, who, by the way, in case you don't know, Jeroboam is the man who became the first king of the northern kingdom when there was the great divide, the division in Israel. It was divided up into the northern kingdom, ten tribes, and the southern kingdom uh, consisting of two tribes, actually two and a half tribes, and Jeroboam was the first, first king, and this is the place where he schemed to take control of Israel. And in that scheme, he erected golden calves there, there and also in Dan, by the way. And so this place that was once reserved for God's glory, called the house of God, is now a place of idol worship. Imagine that. You know, we think about some churches, and especially if you go to Europe, this is so common there, but it's becoming more and more common here. A lot of the churches that at one time really stood true to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, they might not have been exactly like we are, independent, unaffiliated Baptists and so forth, but at least they were preaching the gospel and doing the best they could with what they had and winning souls to Christ and so forth, and now have become filled with modernness. Liberalism has taken over. And so what we see, what we see way back there at Bethel, the change, the drastic change that had taken place is what happens a lot of times in churches. So whenever, whenever you consider this, it's really no wonder that Elisha met with such ridicule. Remember, he is a messenger of the true and the living God. And here he is now entering into a place that once had been identified with God, but now is a place of heathen worship where people have no respect for Jehovah or for the covenant that God had made with Israel. So mark it down. Anytime people despise God, God's servants can expect to be mistreated. It's always been that way, and it'll always be that way. 
And so, you know, I, I, I just suspect that uh, as Elisha entered there, he thought to himself, there's going to be a bump in the road here. There's going to be trouble. And sure enough, it happened. Now, that's the place. But notice the people that are involved here and a couple of things about them. I want you to notice that they are identified, notice, as little children. Let's talk about their age because, you know, this is the second key phrase that gives us some insight into the story. Little children. Well, in the Hebrew, the literal meaning of that can refer to very, very small children. That's true. But it simply can refer to young people, teenagers. By the way, this is exactly the same word phrase that is used in reference to Isaac when he was a young man about 20 years old. So you get the picture because immediately whenever you read that, my, you're thinking about those little kids seven and eight years old running out there teasing the preacher. But that's not what's being implied here. It could be somebody that is 19, 20 years old. And so it's possible this is not just an innocent band of small boys playing childish pranks. You know, whatever the case were, they were old enough to know better. And I think, by the way, that Elisha was smart enough to not do something really stupid. Years ago, back in Missouri, we was having a Brush Arbor meeting, and I'd um, invited this fellow to come over and preach. And he was, you know, I knew he was very excitable and somewhat of a loose cannon. And we were, the Brush Arbor was located right on, right on a sharp curve in the road. We had bought that little plot of land there and getting ready to build a building. Didn't have a building, so we built a Brush Arbor. That's what we had to meet in Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night visitation, uh, Saturday or whenever. And so we was holding a meeting out there under the Brush Arbor. Well, as you might expect, you know, whenever the kids in the little town, little town of a population of 400, and whenever they found out what was going on, they started driving by and they'd stop and they'd honk and they'd shout, you know, and, and trying to insult us and what have you. And it went on, you know, night after night. And this guy, it, it, you could tell it was disturbing, this preaching. And finally one night, this nut leaves the pulpit and runs out toward the street, toward the kid. Well, they took off. They're scared to death. But I thought to myself, my soul, they, they baited him into doing exactly what they wanted him to do, make a fool out of himself. The best thing he could do is just keep on preaching, you see. But he didn't do that. Now, I mentioned that story because I'm confident that Elisha had a lot more sense than to go out there and to do something that was really harmful to a bunch of little kids that are just teasing him, you see. Uh, these people are old enough to know better than what they're doing. And here we are living in a day and an age where children are not being taught to respect others. And, uh, uh, well, the result of that is uh, look to Congress. Need I say more? 
we wonder where that leads. Look, this has been going on for some time now, not, teach, not teaching our kids to respect authority. Uh, it, I, 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 I can't even believe what I'm seeing in Washington today. It, it, it just boggles my mind to think that adults, supposedly leaders of our nation, adults that, you know, we depend upon for leadership behaving worse than the little children around here. Our little children around here got a lot more respect and manners than they do. But I mention that because of the importance of this issue. Whoever it is, whether they're seven or eight years old or 20 years old, the fact of the matter is somebody did not teach them respect. And here they are launching their attack against the preacher. Now, of course, keep this in mind, had he been up there touting the benefits of worshiping the golden calves, they'd have been all for that. We live in a day and age where people, you know, keep telling us we need to be tolerant. Tolerant of this lifestyle and that lifestyle and this religion and that religion. That we Christians just need to be tolerant. And those people, you know, tolerate everything except us. Uh, that, I kind of find that amazing, uh, not amusing, but amazing to think that they are the most intolerant people on this earth. So this, you know, this has to do with the possibility of their age. But notice the attack because it's twofold. I want you to notice what they said. First of all, they said, go up, go up. I, I'm certain that these people had heard about Elijah's ascent into heaven. I mean, something like that doesn't happen every day. You know, the horses of fire and chariots of fire swoop down and, whoo, the preacher is gone. And now Elisha is there in his place. And here they are saying, go up, go up. In, in other words, they're mocking him, wanting him to imitate his his teacher, as it were. What they're really doing is scoffing at the miracle of God. So many people, because you know they they they, they just they don't understand the supernatural, and who does? You know their response to to that is to ridicule it. Well, I, you know, I just, I just don't believe this stuff about, you know, Jonah and the whale. And I don't believe the stuff about the Red Sea and the walls of Jericho and so forth. Well, you're not supposed to understand it, but whenever the Bible declares it, it's true. And so there's a possibility here that that's what they're doing, mocking him. Let's see you go up. But there's another possibility here, and it just might be there telling him just keep on trucking just keep go up go 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 on get out of here i mean that that might be a part of it we don't want you around here i had one dear preacher friend i'll never forget and uh he had he had just taken the church uh down in somerset kentucky and Brother Scott probably been in this church that I'm talking about, and I can't remember the name of it. But my friend, they call him as the pastor of the church. And uh, so I knew about when his first Sunday was. Well, I saw him about two or three weeks later, and 
I said, what are you doing? I thought you were pastoring down in Somerset. No, he said, I, re I resigned. I said, what? He said, yeah, I was just there a week. I said, what? I said, he said, well, let me explain. The first week I was there, come 12 o'clock, I'm preaching away, 12 o'clock, and the kid gets up, and the kid walks, might have been Scott, I don't know. <laughs> This kid walks down the aisle and walks up to the pulpit and rings the bell. That was the, to, to dismiss the service. And it wasn't just because of him. He said, that's what they do there. That's the announcement. The service is over. And he resigned. I can't say that I blamed him. Wow. Uh, it's amazing what some people will do. Well, here they are telling Elisha, this great man of God, go up, go up. Dismiss yourself. We don't want you around here. But notice the second thing they said, thou bald head. <laughs> now, look, I'm not giving you my opinions on baldness. I'm, I'm just giving you a bit of history here that in those days, boy, some of these guys are squirming right now. Baldness was actually considered to be a disgrace. Really. It was considered... <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing. Somebody rang the bell. <laughs> they considered it a sign of mental weakness. I'm, te I'm telling you the truth. That's exactly, that's exactly the way they looked at it. Now, naturally all of the bald people will admit they were wrong they didn't know what they were talking about but the point is this is a personal insult you know whether you're talking about having big ears or a bald head it doesn't make any difference they are insulting him and let me tell you regardless of what you think about it this is a serious sin in god's sight because it's always dangerous to speak evil of God's servants, not just the preacher. It's dangerous to speak evil of any of God's servants. And boy, there's a lot of examples of this in the Bible. I think about Miriam, and you're certainly familiar with that story there in Numbers chapter 12, or Korah and his followers. And the great harm that came upon the, the, those that spoke evil of God's servants. Paul said in 1 Timothy 5, 19 against an elder, Receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. That's really, by the way, true of anyone, not just against an elder or against the pastor of the church. That's true of anyone. You know, there are times that people uh, have uh, raised the question, When's the church going to do something about so-and-so? Don't you know, I heard that so-and-so is doing such-and-such, such, you know. And, uh, and I kind of believe it's true. When's the church going to do something about that? Well, whenever there are at least two or three witnesses that, that can bear witness to the sin that bring charges. Let me tell you, Brother Preston and I are not going to get out here on witch hunts doing detective work trying to catch people in their sins. Uh, 
If there's not two or three witnesses, you need to just you need to just pray for the people. Now, now look, what you say might be true. In other words, what you say might even be something you saw. So it might be true. But there's no way that there can be any indictable charge brought against them or any action taken against them unless there are two or three witnesses. And I want to keep I want you to keep that in mind. And so here we see these young people trying to trying to mock the preacher and actually it's an offense against God and Notice the pronouncement now. Here's the response from Elisha. Just notice uh, the word cursed. That means to pronounce a sentence of judgment. There's absolutely no reference to any vile or abusive language in that word. Now, naturally we say, boy, he really cussed him out. Well, you know, or or he, he pronounced a curse upon him, something to do over in Louisiana, you know, uh, yeah, the witch doctors and stuff. Uh, no, no, th- this has absolutely nothing to do with that whatsoever. He is pronouncing a sentence of judgment upon them in the name of the Lord. So obviously, this is something God told him to do. By the way, doesn't God warn us about the cost of sin? The soul that sinneth, it shall die. God warns us over and over and over. So it's not like he is cussing them out. It's not like he is bringing some curse down upon their head. He is simply pronouncing a judgment upon them as a result of their sinful actions. So that's the response from the preacher. But notice the retribution from God. Well... Two she-bears come out of the woods. Let me remind you, first of all, that Israel had been warned about this very thing. Way back in the book of Leviticus, and whenever we ignore God's warnings, we can expect God's wrath. But notice there's nothing said here that Elisha prayed for them to be attacked by bears. It doesn't say, and Elisha, being so disheartened, fell on his knees and prayed, Dear God, send two she-bears out of the woods to take care of this problem. Not a word said about that because that's not what happened. He is pronouncing judgment upon them as a, for their sin, and God sent it in this form that happened to be best suited for the purpose of God at that time. By the way, uh, you know, God deemed the judgment as being something that is necessary. You know, there's sometimes when we sin against God and people, you know, you see them sin against God and they seem to be getting away with it. Sometimes we forget that God's not trying to judge the sins of all of the unsaved people here on earth, you know, because their judgment's coming later. And there are a lot of times, even whenever we Christians sin, which is more frequent than what we'd like to admit, that we don't all of a sudden have a heart attack or cancer or 
go bankrupt or go blind or anything like that. Nothing really bad happens. But there are some times that God, and if you go through the Bible, you'll see that on certain occasions it seemed to be sometimes for the very slightest offense. Something real. You, know, you touch the ark of God, you're going to die. Oh, what? Touch the ark and what's the big deal about that? Well, it's a big deal to God, amen? And God's the one who decides whenever punishment is, is to be poured out. Elisha's authority, if this was allowed to just go on, his authority as a man of God was going to be called into question. His ministry among them was going to be seriously impaired. And so their mockery is an attack on the cause of God and something has to be done. Let me tell you, we don't have the right to judge how God takes care of His business. If God thought that was the thing to do, and He did, then that was the right thing to happen. And by the way, retribution always comes, either sooner or later, to those, those that, that resent and reject and ridicule the Word of God even when it's delivered by his messengers, retribution always comes sooner or later. And in this case, God said, it's time. I'm not going to wait till later. I want to deal with this issue right now. Despising authority is so very dangerous. Let's jump over to the New Testament for just a minute. And I want to throw this in as a side in Ephesians chapter number 6, I, I think it's obvious that it applies to what we're talking about, where Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee. Now get this. And thou mayest live long on the earth. Boy, you think that's not serious business? You know, we try to teach the children, you know, you're to honor your parents and you're to obey your parents. Kids, listen, that's serious stuff. It's the first commandment with promise. And he says that, you know, that, you, that you'll not only prosper, but God has promised you a longer life if you do that. And boy, whenever we fail to do that, when we just ignore what God's Word says and do our own thing, and disrespect the authority that's over us, we're headed for trouble. Now, I want you to notice exactly what is and what isn't said here. I think this is important. Notice, in the first place, there were 42 boys attacked by the bears. Now, this is a large group, and I mentioned that for this reason. As I just said, these were, I, th I believe with all of my heart, at least teenagers, maybe a little older than that. But remember, there are 42 of them. That tells me that Elisha's life could have very well be in jeopardy. 42. We've got a gang of 42 out there after the preacher telling him to go up, go up, get out of here. We don't want you around here. You're nothing but a troublemaker. We don't want you here. And God might have, you know, very well realized that this man's life is in jeopardy. So that being the case, this could have been the necessary means that God used to spare the prophet's life. 
You see, we don't, God doesn't give us all of the facts, all of the details. He's not obligated to do that. We just need to trust Him and to believe that He did what was the right thing to do. But secondly, I want you to notice here that, there, uh, that nothing is said here about these boys being killed. You know, the first, first picture, you know, we get in our mind for whatever reason and we think about, oh, it's just blood and guts and poor little old kids out there laying all over the ground where the bears just chewed them up and they're dead and mom and daddy's going to be crying. No, notice this word tear, that means mauled or cut up. I don't know. It might be that some of them died. I'm not saying they didn't, but I'm not, I'm simply saying this word doesn't say that. These two she bears attacked them and notice they mauled them and cut them up. And we need to understand why this was so crucial that God responded as he did. And we've talked about the conditions at Bethel. That contributed to the disrespectful attitude of these young men. But there's something else we need to consider. Here is this sinful city in need of the truth. They need God's word. I mean, look, folks, that was their only hope. Bethel went from the house of God to a place of idol worship. They need the word of God. This is their only hope. Satan is doing everything he can to stop Elisha's ministry there. So you see, this was not just mere... ...was at stake. You know, Elisha could have said, man, you know, boy, I, I, don't, mess, I don't mess with this gang. I'm out of here. I'm leaving this place. But God had a plan for for those people and for that place. And that makes the matter so serious that God deemed it necessary to do something. It's not something God could just ignore like, oh, well, kids will be kids. Oh, that's true. Kids will be kids. I don't think you ought to expect a five-year-old to behave like somebody that's, you know, 16 or 18 years old. Kids will be kids. The problem is some of them are still acting like little kids whenever they're 20 years old. That's the real problem. So this attack is not just against Elisha. This is an attack against God. And when you attack God, you're going to get hurt. Here in Texas, you know, we've we got a saying, don't mess with Texas, right? Well, I've got a better one than that. Don't mess with God. Amen. Our God is a consuming fire. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Boy, you, by the way, that's in Hebrews. And in case you don't know, Hebrews was written to Christian people. Let that sink in. It's a fearful thing to fall into. He said, whenever judgment must begin, at where? At the house of God. Bethel was what? The house of God. Now, I want to make a personal application. I, just, I want to just ask three or four questions and I'll be through. Tying it together with what we've just talked about here, I, I think that the wise thing for me to do and for you to do and for each one of us is to examine ourselves, our, our attitude. 
So here's some questions. What is your attitude toward others? Uh, your attitude in general. What's your attitude in general? Now let's suppose that Elisha was just a traveler coming through town. Or who, you know, whatever. Let's suppose he's selling vacuum cleaners. Well, you know, that's stretching it, but a, maybe a camel saddle. I don't know. You know, there there ought to be... You know, we need to learn to treat people decently and with respect even when we are in total disagreement with them. And boy, let me tell you, that can be hard to do. Years ago, I got through preaching a sermon and it was kind of a barn burner and, and I probably had been overly harsh. <laughs> I kind of had a habit of doing that back then and but anyway, I'm standing at the back door. The service has been dismissed. And here comes a little fella. I say little fella. I'm talking about he's probably 5'5", five, five, but he was hefty, built like a fire plug. Lee McDaniel. And he's coming down the aisle, and he has got his shoes off. He's in the process of taking his shirt off. And he comes right up in my face, reading me the riot act. Now you have to understand, he had been he had been severely injured in Korea, and so his thinking wasn't quite right a lot of times. And something about the message offended him, and he wanted to fight. Now, look, this guy was normally a really good Christian guy. He loved kids, worked with kids, all the time whittling out something. He could whittle anything, whittle out stuff and give it to the kids. They, the kids loved him, and now here he is. He, he's up in my face. He wanted him to fight me. And I, I, I warned him the best that I could. You know, Lee, you better back off. You better. The first thing I did was say, what are you doing undressing in church uh, he's going to fight and it would have been very easy for me to just lose my cool and you know and do something really stupid you know if we knew the whole story about every person i think we'd be a whole lot more tolerant of them Amen. and so many times that we uh, bev and i was talking about something this morning and, and I, I made a statement, I thought I had it all figured out. This, this is why this happened or why it didn't happen, da-da-da. Well, then I, then I got word this afternoon that that's not really the way it happened. Now, nothing to do with the church, by the way. And I think her response was presumption. Is that the word you used? Presuming. And it's so easy for us to do that instead of respecting one enough, another enough to give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, we just jump to conclusions. And usually that that's, uh, you know, an indication that we don't have the proper respect or attitude toward other people. Think about that. Secondly, what is your attitude about your elders? 
And I, you know, I'm not talking. I'm not talking about the elders of the church, by the way, of the office. I'm talking about elders, those that are older than you are. That ought to be important to you. And we, we as we as parents and grandparents, we as adults need to instill that in the minds of of of, of, of children that it's important that they learn to respect the authority of their elders. So what is your attitude toward authority in general? Well, look, our prisons are full of people that have no respect for authority. We can't build prisons fast enough. And at the root of the problem is these folks, you know, they have no respect for authority. But it all boils down to this, and that is, what is your attitude toward God's Word? Now remember, Elisha is, a, is God's messenger. And their mockery is a reflection of their attitude toward God. It, it, you know, it's not that, well, you know, pre- preacher, you know, there's another preacher that come through here. We, we kind of liked him and that was all right, but we, we don't like you. No, no, it has nothing to do with that. It has altogether to do with God himself. And here's what we need to remember, that social order and human happiness depends on our attitude toward God. We've got people that claim to be working overtime, doing everything in their power to promote social order and human happiness. You know, that's what they claim. And they make laws, supposedly, to ensure that so we can all get a fair shot, you know. Well, when you leave God out of the equation, you've just lost the battle. Because that's, that, that's what the very heart of it is. I want to say one last thing, and that is this, that God's not against you. God is for you. And He loves, He loves you so much, and He proved it when He gave His Son. And when we resent and we resist God's commandments, it is evidence that we, number one, it's evidence that we don't really understand God. Because when God says, you know, I, I don't want you to do this, God's saying, I don't want you to hurt yourself. That's exactly what he's saying. He has erected this moral fence, as it were, saying, please don't trespass, transgress, don't get on the other side. There's danger there. God's trying to help us, not hurt us. And when we resent that, it's because we don't understand Him, but neither do we love Him. Because if we really loved Him, you know, we would willingly submit ourselves to Him. Your enemy is sin, not God. Now, you might be the enemy of God. The Bible, you know, speaks of those that are unsaved as being rebels and the enemies of God, but God's not your enemy in that sense that, you know, there comes a day when we reject Him that He is forced into rejecting us and judging us because He's a holy God. Believe it or not, God's more concerned about your happiness than you are. And His ways work. And they're safe, by the way. And it's whenever we get out of bounds, that's when we get in trouble. And here was 42 young men, boys, whatever you want to call them, 42 of them, 
that decided to ignore the commandments of the Old Testament that they no doubt had been taught, at least to some extent. They knew what the Bible said, and they totally ignored that. And the example of godly people, and they decided to launch a verbal attack that could have led to a physical attack against the preacher. And God stepped in and said, I've had enough of this, no more. And he did something about it. Look, don't, don't push God in the corner. Don't you dare tempt God because you'll get hurt. Well, let's all stand. I, I, don't know what, I don't know what God might be speaking to your heart about tonight. I, you know, I, I never do, really. And that's not my business. My business is just to deliver the message. And uh, your business is to do business with God. Father, how we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the warnings, for the instructions. And Lord, we just pray tonight that you'll help each and every one of us to conform our ways to your will, which we find in your word. And may we, may we walk in the path of righteousness in a manner that's pleasing in your sight, in a way that will not put us and others in danger. Lord, help us to do what is right even when it's not popular. Help us, Heavenly Father, to realize that there were more than 42 boys, but only 42 that participated. Help us to be among that number of those that refuse to do what's wrong. In Jesus' name, amen. Always.